Well, good morning, Bethel Church. As we come to God's Word again this Sunday, uh, we are well aware of the trying days that God has us in. We believe that God is in control. We believe that God is good. And because of that, we can come to His Word and we can rest in the promises that God gives and to find comfort in, in, his, in his word. And today we're going to uh, come to what is arguably the most comforting language in all of the Bible. This is simultaneously the most famous, other than perhaps John 3.16, the most famous portion of the Bible. It is uh, one of the most beloved. Uh, many of you probably have this section of scripture memorized. And uh, many of you probably have it on some kind of a plaque in your, in your home. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the famous Psalm 23. Very beloved portion of scripture. And uh, this is part of the popularity of Psalm 23, is that it is so easily applied to the challenges of life like the ones that we are presently experiencing in our society with the coronavirus. To think about down through the centuries how many people on their deathbed, the last words out of their mouth, likely, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uttering those words before they step into eternity. This, this psalm is a masterpiece. It is beautiful. It is uh, theological. It's the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. It is powerful, it is simple, it is popular for very good reasons. And it is very familiar, and as we come to this this morning, that's one of the challenges we have with it, is that it is so familiar that you might already think to yourself, oh, I know what Psalm 23 says, I'm very familiar with it. Why don't we fight against that and believe that God can have a special and fresh word for us today, particularly in this crisis that we are in. If you're good with that, then allow me to read Psalm 23. If you have your Bible, you can, you can look at it yourself. This is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless his word. To us today. My intent with you is to simply walk through Psalm 23. And you'll notice at the, uh, at the heading, if your Bible is like mine, it says a Psalm of David. This is a Psalm written by King David, likely after he became a king. Some people think actually that he wrote it in, the, in the, his time in the wilderness when Saul was trying uh, to kill him. Or perhaps uh, the, the, the betrayal by his own son Absalom. Uh, I mean, think about David. Here you have a guy who both his father-in-law and his son betrayed him and tried to kill him. This is a man who knows the dark night of the soul. 
And yet he writes this psalm, and it's a psalm that's filled with confidence and tranquility in God. To understand Psalm 23, you have to understand that it, it's, it's describing our relationship with God in terms of three very different images. We have, first of all, God is my shepherd, and then God is my host, and then finally, God is my eternal companion. And the psalm transitions between these three very quickly and without apology. So let's begin here now with God is my shepherd. These are verses one through four. The, the psalm begins with this very powerful statement, the Lord is my shepherd. Now let's remember who's writing this psalm. This is, of course, David, the most famous shepherd ever. David, the shepherd boy. Remember, it was David who was uh, tending to the sheep when Samuel came to Bethlehem to anoint the new king. And you know the whole story where all the, his other brothers uh, go before Samuel and none of them are the one that God desired. And Samuel's confused and, and, uh, and David's own father, Jesse, says, well, there's one more and, and it's the young one and he's out watching the sheep. Doesn't even give him a name. And of course, Samuel anoints David to be king. Nobody suspected that the shepherd boy would be God's chosen one, not his dad, not his brothers, perhaps not even the prophet himself. But the life lessons that David learned on those hillsides there outside of Bethlehem were to guide him the rest of his life. And you can imagine David laying under the stars at night with the bleeding sheep next to him, pondering what God is like. And maybe the, the seed thought for Psalm 23 was there when he was a teenage boy and he just thought to himself, man, I care for these sheep. I wonder if maybe God cares for me like I care for these sheep. And here David says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is a psalm of relationship. This is a very personal psalm of identity. How is God a shepherd to us? Well, the language here, it's very poetic and it's very pastoral, and it describes what all good shepherds do for their sheep. They provide, they restore, they lead, and they sustain their sheep. So let's begin with how God provides for us. Anybody interested in how God provides for us in these difficult days? I think so. Verse one says it this way, I shall not want. I shall not want. What a wonderful thought that is. Shepherds have to constantly be thinking about the needs of their sheep. And sheep have many needs. Sheep need food. Sheep need protection. Uh, sheep need shelter and water. Those needs sound very familiar because they're, they're kind of the needs that we have as well. And a good shepherd is constantly thinking about and providing for those basic needs of the sheep. So if you're a good sheep and you have a good shepherd... You don't have to stress out about whether or not your needs are going to be met. No. Why, why am I not concerned? Because I've got an awesome shepherd, and he has promised that I shall not want. And we hear in this the language of dependency and the language of trust in God's ability to meet our needs. I mean, say this to yourself, if you will, today. If God's my shepherd, I will never ultimately have a need that God will ultimately fail to meet. He is that awesome of a shepherd, I shall not want. 
You know, for many years, I, I uh, lived in a house that uh, uh, I would drive by a farm in order to get to my house, a small farm. And on this farm, there were, you know, some farm animals and a, and a number of horses. And I, I grew up around horses. I know a little bit about the care of horses. And I would drive by this farm, and I would look at these, at these animals and these horses, and they were always mangy. They were in the mud. Uh, they just... You, you could tell they weren't taken care of. And never once as I drove by that farm did, do I remember ever seeing the actual farmer. But I don't have to see the farmer. I know a lot about the farmer by looking at the condition of his horses. And in a way, we see this even here. God is a good shepherd. His sheep, all their needs are met. Emphasis, by the way, on needs here. I'm unaware of anywhere that God promises to meet all of our wants, even though perhaps we would want him to meet all our wants. He never promises to meet all our wants, and it's probably good because if he ever did that, we would be seriously spoiled uh, sheep. But he does promise to meet our needs. Here's Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is my shepherd. He provides for me. Not only does he provide for me, he also restores me. Notice verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That verse, how's that verse sound to you? You don't have to be a sheep to think that this sounds like a really great idea, lying down, hear the language, in a green pasture beside the still waters of the lake. This is sheep language for laying poolside with an unlimited tab. Who here right now, that doesn't sound pretty good to? That sounds great to me. And what stands out here is that uh, the reality for a, a sheep in the Middle East, in the bygone days, was vastly different. Take out of your mind sort of the, uh, the rich fields of Indiana. If you've ever seen pictures of what it's like in the Middle East and what it's like in Israel, much of the land, most of the land is is rocky and, and barren, and if you were a sheep, you would look at it and say, there's no way I can live in a place like that. And so if you're a sheep, to hear about green pastures, which means food, and still waters, which means something to drink, what would you think of your shepherd if he regularly provided that for you? Now that's a good shepherd. That's right there, that's a good shepherd. Many years ago, there was a classic book uh, written on Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. And what made the book unique was that Keller had been a shepherd himself. And he writes about Psalm 23 from things that he learned about sheep having been a shepherd. And one of the fascinating truths about sheep that he highlights is that sheep don't easily lie down. Who knew that, right? We don't deal with sheep uh, too much ourselves, but sheep don't, they're, they're not very quick to lie down. They're very timid, apparently, and very skittish. They will only die, lie down, he says, if there are four conditions that are met for them. Number one, there is a, they're free of fear. A fearful sheep will never, never lay down. Secondly, they're free from friction with others. Who knew that sheep were so interpersonal? Thirdly, they are flee from, uh, free from flies or parasites, and I think we all would probably agree with that one. 
And finally, they're free from the need to find food. So did you get that? A sheep will only lie down if it has complete confidence that all its needs are met. Essentially, it means this. It has to be confident in the shepherd. So if you're ever driving down the road and you look over and you see a whole flock of sheep and they're all laying down, you can think to yourself, well, now, now there's a good shepherd with that flock right there. Look, all his sheep, they're laying down. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. His loving care for us, his promise to provide for us, creates such a sense of security and peace that I can relax if my shepherd is near. This, of course, metaphorically is describing his presence with us, his provision for us, that God has it all under control. I wonder if in the stressful days that we're living in right now, if there is this sense in your heart today that God's got this, that God's in control, that God's, that God's good, that God's gonna meet our needs. Are you, a, are you a stressed out sheep today? If I could look through these cameras and, and, and see you right now, are you, are you a sheep that's totally upright? You haven't laid down in three weeks. Are you stressed out today? Well, hear this psalm. We have a great shepherd and when the sheep think they're meeting their own needs and there's nobody there to do it for them, they'll never lay down. But when they're dependent upon a shepherd that they trust, well, then they can lie down and they can sleep. And friends, God wants uh, us to live in the day-to-day like a sheep that is trusting in him to meet our needs. And I wonder if today, are you trusting in your shepherd are you trusting in his promises to us? Do you think that maybe, you know, you've got to figure all of this out? You know, you've got to find the next uh, still, still waters. You've got to find the next pasture, you know? Maybe you're over there and you're like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? Is that your sense today? Well, the shepherd says to you, I got it. Just just lie down. He restores us. He provides for us. He leads us. Look at verse 3. God leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now this may seem self-evident that shepherds lead sheep, but this is the highlighting here. It is the path of righteousness that assures us. God gives us direction. Now, where does God give us direction? We know that God gives us direction in his word. His word is his will. Uh, as a, another psalm says, that this is a, a guide to our path, a lamp to our feet. God gives us these paths to walk in, a way of living, a way of thinking. I think of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not, do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make, your, make straight your paths. So God is always leading us. The question is, are you following him? Are you following him? His paths are right. They are just. They are pure. They are pleasing to him. So is your life walking in paths of righteousness? We can't say that God's our shepherd if the paths we're walking in are paths of unrighteousness. God would never lead us down those paths. I think of what, what Jesus himself said in John 10. He said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
Sheep are able to hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow the shepherd. Notice though here it says it is for his namesake. Okay, his namesake. His namesake is for his glory. God's glory is bound up in this. Think of this. God's glory is on the line if your needs are not met. But because God is so committed to his glory, even in the midst of a crisis like we're in, we can rest confident that God's, go- God's got this, that he's going to meet our needs because his glory is on the line. And what I love about that little phrase is it shows us that even here in Psalm 23, it's all about him. God's glory is central to all that God does, even in Psalm 23. He leads us. And finally, he sustains us. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, when you think about Psalm 23 and this pandemic that we're in today, I wonder perhaps these are the most comforting words that Psalm 23 has for us. And here, David is imagining the worst moments of human life. And he vividly describes them here as the valley of the shadow of death. Now again, get out of your mind uh, sheep in Indiana, right? Indiana flatland. There's, there's no valleys for sheep uh, here in Indiana. But uh, if you go to the Middle East and if you go to Israel, I've been there and I've actually walked some of these hills. Uh, there's, there's very little that's flat. It's all up. It's all down. Uh, there's little crags and, and, and uh, you know, valleys and little spots here and there. It's very difficult uh, terrain. And in those deep places where the sun doesn't break through, it is like a valley of darkness, a valley of death. I wonder if maybe that sounds like the life you're living right now, that you are walking through a kind of valley where you don't see any light of truth or light of hope. Is your life a valley today? You know, typically we think about this verse And we think about the valley of the shadow of death as the end of life. But the language here is much more applicable to the dark nights of the soul during our life. Days like we're in right now. The valleys of life where everything seems dark or mysterious or uncertain or perhaps fearful. What a vivid description of human emotional pain. The valley of the shadow of death. Anybody in that valley today? Anybody here need a little light? Well, let me give you some even from this little verse here. Notice that it says, yea, though I walk through the valley. You know, when we're in crisis, when we're hurting, we oftentimes will give in to the thought that I'm not in a valley, I'm in a canyon. Like, I'm in a a dead end, and this crisis that I'm in, it's going to be like this. It's never going to change. I'm always going to feel this way. I'm always going to be in this distress. We think that we are permanently in a valley. And yet here he says, yea, though I walk through the valley. If God is our shepherd, we're walking through every valley in our life. If God is my shepherd, then I'm walking through this valley of darkness. We are walking as a church through this valley of this 
coronavirus. We are walking through this valley of not being able to gather together. We're walking through this valley of fear in our community. We're walking through this valley of uncertainty. This is not a canyon. This is not the end of the road. This is a valley that God, our shepherd, is walking with us through it. And please don't forget that. I sometimes wonder what people do when they don't have God. Think about all the homes today, people semi-quarantined. And there they are, uh, day after day, hour after hour, and there is no God in their heart. There is no God in their home. The secularist, the atheist, the agnostic, the evolutionary theorist, on your list could go with people that do not believe in the God of the Bible. And there they are. And what are they thinking? And to where are they turning for answers because none of the things that they've lived by give them answers in times like this. I think also of uh, many times that I have done uh, funerals in in local uh, uh, funeral homes for uh, families where they they just, the funeral home will just call me and say, would you come over and do it? And, And if I can, I try to. And and I meet with the family, and, and you can just tell there's no faith, there's no hope, there's no thought I might see this person again. There's none of that. They've been building their life on a, on a kind of, of mirage, and you hear it even in the services, because they'll, where do they turn for hope, and what do they, who do they quote in the services? And they'll quote Oprah, or they'll quote you know, the, 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 the individual's favorite country song, and somehow try to derive some comfort from these, t- these things, and yet there's no truth in it. The valley of death exposes it. I think about what's going on right now in our society as all of a sudden, within these few weeks, everything has been turned upside down, and things that used to seem to be like really important now don't seem, seem important at all, and things we didn't even know about, all of a sudden we're obsessing over. I mean, all of a sudden, famous and important people apparently important people, they seem so silly and trivial. So for example, is anybody right now really trying to keep up with the Kardashians? No. Now we are eagerly listening to people with degrees from Harvard in infectious diseases. And the rock stars right now are the, epi- I can't even say it, epidemiologists. I didn't even know what an epidemiologist was. But now every day I'm reading and listening to epidemiologists and what they have to say about all that's going on. In a sense, I'm keeping up with the epidemiologist. And this virus and all of this has shown something to be really superficial and something to be really, really important. And here Psalm says, here's the important thing, for you are with me. I'm walking through this valley of death and I know that God is with me as I do it, his enduring presence with us. He goes on to say this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd's, a, a shepherd weapon was the rod. It was essentially a billy club. Uh, elsewhere, David is gonna brag that with this, he killed a lion and a bear. So this is a pretty effective weapon in the hands of a warrior like David. So if you're a sheep, 
and you see your shepherd nearby and you look over and you notice that in his hand is a weapon to protect you, how do you feel in the midst of that valley? You feel safe, you feel loved, you feel protected. I remember some time ago I was in a situation that all of a sudden I felt very unsafe. And uh, there uh, near me was a member of our church at the time who uh, is a secret service agent. And uh, this guy is, is built like a middle linebacker. He has traveled the world with uh, presidents and dignitaries. Uh, he has been in, in uh, protection for many years and was a specialist and a, and a, and a, and a marksman. And I, I said to him, I said, would you mind walking with me? And he said, fine. And so there I go now walking with uh, a, a uh, muscle-bound marksman secret service agent who I happened to know was packing heat and I knew he knew what to do with it. How did I feel as I walked along with him? I felt great. Did I feel scared? No, I didn't feel scared. Why? Look who I got with me. Look what he's got with him. Why should I be afraid? I felt kind of like a sheep in a dark valley with my shepherd nearby wielding a rod and a staff. They comfort me. So there's the language of Psalm 23 in terms of shepherd. But now it transitions into God, not as my shepherd, but God as my host. Here's verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the language here of host and guest, did you hear it there? God prepares a table before me. This is, this is a meal. And what is notable is what happens, or I'm sorry, where this meal happens. He says this, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Now we are typically eating dinner in the midst of our enemies. If, if we're in the midst of our enemies, we're on our guard. We're not eating, we're, you know, we're ready to fight. But no, when God is with me and when God is my host, even with my enemies circling around me, I'm comfortable enough to eat a meal with him. You anoint my head with oil. Oil in the ancient world was a moisturizer. And again, if you understand the context, the beating sun of the Middle East, I mean, just constantly. You ever, you ever had a terrible, terrible burn, like that time you accidentally fell asleep, you know, on vacation, and you just get the worst burn of your life. How does it feel when you get that aloe cream and you put it on your skin, right? It feels awesome. And that's the sense of it here. You anoint my head with oil. How does it feel? It feels awesome. And it, it, it speaks of God wanting to meet all of our needs, even right down to our physical needs, our physical comfort. My cup overflows. The cup, like today, was for drink. And God is the host, and the sense is this, that he just keeps filling our cup. We drink it, he keeps filling the cup. He keeps drinking it. There is bounty here. It's a bountiful, generous filling. God has way more supply than we have capacity and then finally, God is my enduring companion. So he is my shepherd, he is my host, he is my companion. This is verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. What a wonderful promise, of course, this is. And notice he says, there's two realities that are chasing me all the days of my life. He says here, goodness and mercy. Other translations say goodness and love. That's NIV or a New America, goodness and loving kindness. And all of these are the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed, it means steadfast love, covenantal love, sticky love. God's goodness and God's mercy in my life, no matter what the circumstance of my life, it's sticky. They stick with me. They will never, ever leave me. In fact, he says this, they're with me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy have been called, I think it was Spurgeon who called them the hounds of heaven. The hounds of heaven. And what do you mean by that? It's an illustration as we are living our life, you know, in the ups and downs and the back and the force and the this and the that's. If we ever stop for a moment and we, and we listen, what do we hear in the background? And we think, oh, 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 that's, that's, that's uh, goodness. The hound of heaven goodness. And ups and downs and back and forth and here's and there's. And we stop and we listen and what do we hear in the background? And we say, oh, it's mercy. It's mercy. The bloodhounds of heaven. You know what a bloodhound is, right? It's that dog, it gets on the scent and once it's on the scent, it will not leave it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I wonder, can you hear the bloodhounds of heaven? Can you hear mercy? Can you hear goodness? If you really stop and think about the goodness and the mercy of God, even in times like we're in right now, even in your home, even in that family room, even when you maybe can't get out and and you've got this worry or concern, if you stop and really listen with gospel ears, do you hear the hounds of heaven? Do you hear the goodness of God? What a joy it is to know that our relationship with God is our shepherd. It will go on forever. Even past this life, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He doesn't say, I hope I'll dwell in the house of the Lord, or maybe I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. No. With confidence, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even death cannot end this relationship. And that's Psalm 23. I mean, it's an amazing psalm. It's the most famous psalm. And I'd like to apply two realities from Psalm 23 to the days that we're living in right now. And here's the first one. The first one is to realize that Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. All of these qualities that David is describing and celebrating in such poetic language, all of them are describing Truly Jesus, his life, his ministry to us. In fact, he called himself the good shepherd. Here's John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Friends, all the qualities, all the things that we look in Psalm 23 and we say, that's awesome and I, oh, I love that and I want this and I'll put this on a, on a plaque in my wall and I'll quote this. All of these things find their fullness and find their completeness in Jesus, 
and his ministry to us. And so we can just insert his name into Psalm 23. Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus restores my soul. So if you love the the shepherd of Psalm 23, you'll love Jesus. And then secondly, final application is this. For Jesus to be your shepherd, Jesus has to be your savior. If you want Jesus to be your shepherd, you have to have Jesus as your, as your savior. You know, everybody wants the assurances of Psalm 23. I, I, I imagine Psalm 23, if, if we could add up all of the funerals that, are, that have ever been done since uh, it was written, maybe, or at least in the age of the church, uh, half of them probably quote somewhere Psalm 23. People refer to it in times of trouble, memorial services and, and gatherings, funerals, and even during flu pandemics, everyone loves Psalm 23. But here's the question, does it apply to everyone? Does it necessarily apply to everybody that is listening to this broadcast? And the answer to that is clearly no. Because if Jesus isn't your savior, then Jesus isn't your shepherd. And that is why the most important word in Psalm 23 might be right there at the beginning when it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And my there is a sense of personal, it's it's me submitting to God and his purposes. It is me trusting and believing in Jesus and what he did on the cross, dying for our sins. This is not the faith of my grandfather, the faith of my dad or my wife or my kids. No, the Lord is my shepherd. And before he can be our shepherd, he must be our savior. And that little word personalizes the whole of Psalm 23 into a relationship. And to realize that Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Where did he do that? He did it, of course, on the cross. He did it, of course, dying for our guilt and our sin. He did it, of course, to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven. He did it for us uh, to provide a way for us to be welcomed into the family of God. And he ultimately did it for us that we might have life eternal. He died for our sins and for our guilt. And Jesus becomes our shepherd when Jesus becomes our savior. And I wonder if perhaps today, with so many needs and so many uncertainties, that God might use this present day of trial to open your heart to the need that you have for Jesus to be both your savior and your shepherd. And I would urge you to put your trust in him so that from that, this day forward, if you ever stopped and listened, you would hear, rah, 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 rah. oh, there's, there's uh, goodness. Rah, 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 rah. There's mercy following me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.